This is the first time I've ever tried to preach from a computer, and I'm a little bit nervous, but I'm hoping that it's going to be okay, that the demons of technology will stay away for a little while. <clears throat> thanks for coming, and thanks for staying when you saw it was me. Um, I appreciate that. Uh, I'm, I'm always a little nervous about that. It's it's just wonderful to be here with you, and I, I'm so thankful that you are here, and I think that the Lord has some great blessings for us today. So let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful for your graciousness to us, for your love. <clears throat> We're thankful for the fact that you are our heavenly parent in whom we will never be disappointed. And we pray that you will bless each of us today, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There are some difficulties in preaching on Mother's Day, uh, <clears throat> and here they are. Some people get angry if the sermon's not about motherhood. My, uh, the, the new professor of preaching, Dr. Brian Chappell, uh, he has a book on preaching, a great book on preaching, and he says in it there, woe to the person who doesn't preach about Mother's Day on Mother's Day. So some people got to have a Mother's Day sermon, and then there are others some people get angry if the sermon's not about motherhood. And so they say, you know, I really don't need to hear a Mother's Day sermon because I'm single and I don't have any kids, or we can't have any children, or I don't like thinking about my kids because of what they've done, or my mother was not the kind of mother that you wanted to be around. I'm sorry if that's the, if that's the case today. And I hope what I hope is that at the end of the message, you'll be able to see that even though it's Mother's Day, that all of us, every one of us have a responsibility to do all that we can to make sure that we influence children for the kingdom of God. That they're not just little kids, but that they are the future of the kingdom of God and they have great and wonderful and marvelous things that they're going to do for the kingdom. And so I want us to read today and think about how we can avoid this problem. I want us to realize that children are the future of the church, they're the future of the kingdom, and not just mothers, but every single person here can influence the children, all of you. And so hopefully, when you walk out, you'll be able to say, I really can influence the kingdom of God by doing nothing but helping a little child. We can influence the children, Paul tells us, in the last writing before his death, or what apparently the last writing before his death, which is Second Timothy. And in Second Timothy, this is what Paul says to us. I think this is the New American Standard, so it might be a little slightly different translation from what you have, but you can look at your translation. Paul says, and he's writing to Timothy, he says, I thank God, whom I serve with a clear conscience, the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, longing to see you, even as I recall your tears, so that I may be filled with joy. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm sure that it is in you as well. And so Paul, speaking to his son in the faith, Timothy, he wants to tell us, I think, at least three things that all of us can do to influence children of God for the kingdom. 
Three things that all of us can do that will help us to know that we may have a great part in the kingdom, even though we're not standing up teaching or we're not great people in the church, but we can be great just by influencing children. And I know that it's tough sometimes. I mean, I had wonderful parents. Uh, my mother was the finest Christian I ever knew, really. And so I can come to Mother's Day and think about the wonderful childhood that I had. And I sent my mother when I was about 18, I remember sending her a Mother's Day card that said, Mom, you've had a lot of problems in your life. Happy Mother's Day from one of them. And unfortunately, unfortunately, that was more true than, than not. But my mother always taught me about the unconditional love of, of the Lord and what a great thing it was to be a part of the kingdom of God. And so let's look at this passage together and see what it is that Paul tells us about influencing children. The first thing that we'll see is the basis of the influence. And you'll notice in verse 1 that Paul tells us that God is the basis. He says there, right at the beginning of verse 1, I thank God. And one of the things that we have to realize is that if we are going to influence children, there has to be some basis upon which we exercise that influence. And the, the real basis for any real true interest is God. The fact that He exists, the fact that He, He does everything, that all that we do is in some sense under the power and the control of God. I, you know, most of the books that we read by people about their parents are awful. They tell us about how bad their parents were and about how their parents didn't do anything right. So I wanted to read a really good book this weekend coming up to Mother's Day about a really good parent. And I, I couldn't, I'm sure I could have if I'd looked harder, but I didn't find one about a mother, but I found one about a father that was just published. It's called, As I Knew Him, My Father Rod Serling. Now, if Rod, the name Rod Serling doesn't mean anything to you, he was the guy who always walked out and introduced the Twilight Zone, you know, with the clipped talk and usually smoking. And it was wonderful to see that he was not as weird as he might have looked on TV, that his daughter, who was... 18 or 19 when he died at a very young age, just thought of him as the greatest person in the world. And I thought, that's, that's the kind of thing that we want to leave for the children that are around us, children who might not even be our children, but who, at the end of the day, they will say, that person made a difference. I saw on Friday, my son and I went to see the movie uh, Mud. Because my son, who has the same kind of bizarre sense of humor that I do, he said, we got to go see this movie. There's a character named Neckbone. So, you know, you got a character named Neckbone, you got to go see that movie. <laughs> and what was really interesting about the movie, which, by the way, has like 98% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. It's amazing. I've never seen a movie with that high rating. The, the interesting thing about the film was, and there's cursing in the movie, so don't say, I told you to go see it. It's... Do what you want. Uh, but one of the underlying premises of the movie is how children without parents 
are influenced either for good or for ill by those that are around them. And it's, it's really a, a really interesting film. You know, I have this theory that the gospel appears in all kinds of places, even when people don't mean it to be there. The gospel appears in Stephen King's novels and in Harry Potter, although I think she meant for it to be there, and all kinds of places like that. And I think that we can show children, look, the gospel is all around us, and the good news is all around us, and the reason that we can be happy in life is only because of the fact that God exists and that He cares about us. It's J.R.R. Tolkien's line in, in an article about the, the, the fairy tales. He said, every happy ending owes its existence to the resurrection. And all of us, you see, can realize that we can teach children, not just our own, but children that are around us, about how important God is. And then Paul goes on to tell us that ancestors are important. And you see that in the second part of that, of that verse, I said verse 1, and I meant verse 3, so bear with me. I never really got to the math part of the education process, but you know what I mean. Uh, he says, I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did. So Paul is telling us that he, A, is serving the same God that his forefathers did, and B, that he's serving them, he's serving God with a clear conscience. The only reason that he can say that he serves God with a clear conscience is only because of the fact that he knows Jesus Christ. Before he knew Christ, Paul could not have a clear conscience. And he went through life doing all that he could to try to make sure that he was good enough for God, and it never worked. And as you read through the life of Paul, you come to realize that he's trying and trying and trying and trying, and it never works. And finally, he comes and he meets Christ in this amazing way on the road to Damascus, and his life is changed forever. And his life is changed forever because he sees that God is a God of grace, not just a God of law. And that the grace enables him to have a clear conscience despite all the things that he's done wrong. And so all of us, when we influence a child, we must first influence them on the basis of God and show them how God is all around us. He's everywhere. But there's a second thing that, that Paul tells us, and that is the method of the influence. The first thing that he says is that we should pray for those children that are around us in verse 3c, sorry. I constantly rem remember you in my prayers night and day. It's an amazing thing to know that we have the ability not just to listen to God who speaks to us through His Word, but that we have the ability to speak to God, that our God is not just a talking God, but He's a listening God. He listens to us. It's an amazing thing, and I think so often we fail to realize how critically important prayer really is. I, about, probably been... 15 years ago or more now, this guy called me up out of the blue. I pick up the phone and he says, I think we're related. Okay. I, you know, I didn't know what was going on. I thought it might be some kind of a scam for money. So I was a little nervous. He said, I'm at the Hilton Hotel and I'd like for you to come and see me on Saturday, because I'd really like to meet you, because my last name is Lamerson, his name was Stanley Lamerson, and so I said, okay, I'll go there to the Hilton Hotel and I'll meet you. I took my son along, who was about 10 at the time, in case he was a serial killer, so 
He could just get both of us at the same time and be done with it. And then on the way, I called my brother so, you know, we could wipe out the entire family line. And so I got there, and, and there's this big, huge banner there that says, Welcome Marines from some number again. I don't know the number because uh, of the math thing. But I, I saw him. He was sitting there. And it was this meeting of Marines who had stormed the beach of Iwo Jima. I'd never known that. And so I walk up to him. He says, I'm Stanley Emerson. I'm Sam. And what had happened is my father, who died when I was relatively young, just shortly after my mother died, he had left all these pictures, and I didn't know who they were. So I brought them with me, thinking to myself, maybe if this guy really is a, 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 a relative of mine, maybe he might know who some of the pictures are. And as it turns out, he was the son of my great uncle, I think. My grandfather's brother was, his, was this guy's father, I think. It was something like that. And so he starts talking to me, and I realize that it's really true. He is really, he is really uh, a relative whom I've never met. And so I start showing him some of these pictures, and he says, yeah, that was your great-grandmother. And that's how I knew that we were related, because when I saw in the phone book that you were a reverend, I knew that we were related. And I said, what do you mean by that? He said, well, this person whose picture you have there, your great-grandmother, was from England. And she always prayed that God would send ministers into the family. So as soon as I saw that you were a minister, I knew that we were related. And I was amazed by that. I was amazed by the fact that I had a picture of a great-grandmother. I didn't know who she was. I was amazed by the fact that her prayers were still being answered long after she had already gone to be with the Lord. And I thought, what an amazing thing it is to think that we have the ability to influence the future of the world by speaking to the God who listens to us. It's an amazing thing. But then Paul tells us not only should we pray for the children, but he tells us that we should have genuine love for the children around us. Got that one right, verse 4. He says, longing to see you, even as I recall your tears, so that I may be filled with joy. Paul loved Timothy. There's no doubt about that. Timothy was a younger man at the time when Paul is writing this book to him. Paul realizes that Timothy is going to have some problems in, in his church, and so he writes these, what are called the pastoral epistles, First and Second Timothy and Titus. He writes them to try to help him understand how to deal with the problems that he's going to face. He loved Timothy as his own son. Not everybody loves children, I know. You should. I mean, I would much rather be with children than with adults. I can tell you that because I know they're just going to tell me that wasn't any good and we didn't know what you were talking about. So I, I, I like that about them. They're, they're honest, if nothing else. There was this guy, when I used to preach at Coral Ridge, I was the interim guy, you know, so basically because the elders wanted to lower expectations because <laughs> when the next guy came in, they knew that they could say, well, the guy's not Dr. Kennedy, but at least he's not Sam. So they, they could have that. So I was preaching for a couple of years or whatever it was. I don't remember. It, math again. And, and this, uh, this guy would write, we had in, at there at that time these blue cards that you could write either nice notes or mean notes, generally mean. And so I'd get them a lot of the time. And this guy, every Sunday, 
this old guy. He was like 80 or something. And if you're 80, you don't have to be old, but this guy was old at 80. He was probably old at five, for all I know. (laughs) Judging by the way he acted at 80. He would write these things. Every week he would write, and he would say, when are you going to do something about getting these kids out of the service? You know, I wanted... I, I didn't do it, but I wanted to write, call him up and say, you know, I got a blue card that said, it was from kids saying, when are you going to do something about getting these old people out of the service? But I, I didn't, because my wife told me not to. <laughs> and she's a lot stronger than I am. And, but I thought, what a horrible thing that is to say, we don't want these kids around us. And how, how, anti-biblical that is to say we don't want these kids around us, that we ought to welcome all of these children with genuine love and to realize Paul is saying, I, I can't wait to see you. I can't wait to see you. I know that you have tears. I know that you're running through problems, but I, I want to be there so that I can be filled with joy. So Paul tells us that's the method of our influence of children. We pray for them and we love them dearly. But then Paul moves on to tell us the third thing. And that is, Paul tells us the results of the influence. And you should just realize for whatever reason that verse 5 doesn't begin a new sentence, even though it might in your English version, it doesn't in the original text. And so Paul tells us several things. He says, first of all, the result of true faith. He says in verse 5 that to Timothy, he says, I am mindful of the sincere faith within you. He's saying to Timothy, I know that you have real, true faith. I know that you are an absolute, real, true Christian. I know that. And then he tells us why it is that Timothy is a real, true Christian. And he says this. In, in the second part of verse 5, which dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. Paul says to Timothy, the reason that you have such amazing, amazing ability to change the world is because of your grandmother and your mother. These are not famous names. You won't find Lois anywhere else. You won't find Eunice very many other places, not the same Eunice. But I always tell, when I'm teaching New Testament survey, I always tell my students when, we read, when we're going through 2 Timothy, I say to them, think about this. Here we are 2,000 years later, and we're reading about two women... And the one thing that the two women did was teach a little boy about the Bible. That's an amazing thing. And so Paul tells us that the result of this is a change in history. It changed everything. The reason that we have the church that we have today is in some sense because God worked through the Apostle Paul, and in some sense because God through Paul worked through Timothy. The entire History of the world is changed because two women taught a little boy about the Bible. That's an amazing thing. And so you never know who you might be influencing by influencing a little children, a little child. 
math again. It's just one or several. You can change the world by influencing a young person. I want to give you a few examples from church history, and then we'll be finished. Think about D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody spoke to more people than any other person during his lifetime, more than anybody. He spoke to more people than Spurgeon. He spoke to more people than any actor. He spoke to more people than any other person of his lifetime. In fact, you used to, if you were going to a D.L. Moody crusade, and you can see, can you, there you go, you can see now the, the people jammed in to hear Moody. And you used to have to get a ticket to go and hear Moody because it was going to be so crowded they just couldn't have the people outside trying to force their way in, so you had to get a ticket. And the tickets were actually scalped sometimes. Moody, of course, didn't, you didn't pay for the tickets and he didn't want them scalped. They tried everything they could to tr- stop it. But think about that. A, a man who was preaching to more people than any other person of his lifetime, and he's so... People so want to hear him that they will pay money. Can you imagine today scalping tickets to go and hear a guy preach? Most people would scalp tickets to get out of there. You know how it is. I mean, we sit in church hoping that, you know, a bird will fly in to at least liven things up a little bit. But Moody was not a, uh, uh, he was not a well-educated man. He had basically like a sixth to an eighth grade education. He was a man, though, who had moved from Northfield, Massachusetts, where he was born. His house is still there. You can go and see it if you want. And it's, that's where uh, the Moody Bible Institute first started was Northfield, Massachusetts, where he was born. And he was, had moved to Chicago and become a shoe salesman. And one day, a Sunday school teacher walked in when Moody was about 18 years old and he presented Moody with the gospel, and Moody accepted Christ. And then he started going around sharing the gospel with children that were around him. And years later, the amazing thing is that Moody was this gigantic influence for the kingdom of God because some Sunday school teacher walked in and said, I need to influence you for the good. I need to influence you for the gospel. There's another person that we should think about, and that's Augustine. You've all heard of Augustine or Augustine, whichever way you want to say it. Uh, years ago, I was here on, in this very church on this stage when I used to do the puppets, remember, uh, back in those days, because I'm a ventriloquist, if you don't remember. I talk to myself and play with dolls is basically what I do. And... and so I had, I had this, I was talking to them about St. Augustine. And so I said to the kids, have you ever heard of St. Augustine? Nobody raised their hand. And so I, I figured there was a failure to communicate. And I said, have you ever heard of St. Augustine? And this one kid raised his hand and said, heard of it? I've been there. <laughs> really, that's true. But St. Augustine is named after St. Augustine or Augustine, however you want to pronounce it. But if you've ever read... Augustine's Confessions, it's his, I think, his most brilliant work. It's sort of an autobiography in the days before there were autobiographies. And he talks in there about his own conversion experience. 
And there were two things that made a difference in his life. The first was his mother, Monica, was constantly praying for him, and he knew it as he rejected Christianity, as he went out and lived in, in terrible, terrible ways, as he was in an incredibly sinful, sex addict, all kinds of problems that he had. He always knew that his mother was praying for him. And then, one day, he's in a garden. You see this picture here? He's in a garden. And he's on the other side of the fence. He hears this kid playing a a game of some kind. And he hears the kid saying, tole lege, tole lege, which is Latin. It means take up and read. And so he takes that as a message from God. He takes up the Bible, starts to read it, and becomes a Christian and influences the entire Christian world in a way that very few people have. You've all been influenced by Augustine, whether you realize it or not. You've all been heavily influenced by Augustine, who came to the Lord because a little kid was playing a game and because his mother was praying for him. And even if you've heard Augustine, you may not have heard of his mother, Monica, but she was constantly praying, constantly trying to influence her son, for the kingdom of God. And then here's one more example from church history. Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon became a Christian at 15 years of age. He's walking to church, and there's this snowstorm. And so he can't get to the church that he wants to get to. And so he just stops in this little Methodist church on the way. He's never been there, but the snow is so bad, the door is open, and so he just goes in and says, I'll just go to church here. And as it happens, the minister who's supposed to show up doesn't show up because of the snow. And a guy just has to stand up off the cuff and just preach, just out of nowhere. You can imagine how terrifying that must have been. And he stands up and he preaches very simple message, very just does the best that he can. And Spurgeon is convicted by the Holy Spirit and he becomes a Christian. And Spurgeon has influenced the kingdom of God in ways that perhaps no one else has. He has writing after writing after writing, and we can read his sermons, and people were so heavily influenced by him that his sermons used to sell millions of copies, both in London where he was preaching, all over that continent, and and in the United States as well. Today, all of his sermons are still in existence. You can still read them. You can go on the internet and read thousands of sermons by Charles Spurgeon. But the amazing thing is that we know virtually everything about Spurgeon, because he he lived during the 1800s, so we can find out most things. But the amazing thing is that people have spent years trying to figure out exactly what happened at his conversion. We know the church that he went to. We know the day that he went to church there. But as hard as historians have tried to work, no one knows who stood up from the audience that day and preached. Just, it was a guy that we don't know. When you think about that, you think about the fact that he influenced the kingdom of God in ways that that we could never imagine. 
by just standing up and pointing to a 15-year-old boy and said, look to the Lamb of God. And it changed the world. Changed the world. And so today I want to ask you, who do you have sitting beside you or in front of you or sitting in the children's area? Who do you have in your Sunday school class? Who do you have in your neighborhood? The world is changed for Christ when children are influenced. That's critically important that all of us realize that we all have an obligation to try to influence children, every single one of us. When my daughter, her name is Charity, because I used to be a street performer, I would pass the hat and say, all this money goes to charity. And she really likes it when I come home with a lot of money. And and really is her name, and I really did say that. Uh, when she was about three, uh, she spilled water on the floor. I remember this. And I, she called me and said, can you help me get this up? I said, sure. Go get me something so I can get the water up. She comes back in about minute or two, carrying my magic wand. And I said, no, what I, I really wanted you to like get me a towel. And she said, how come? Can't you just magic it up? And, and I learned that she really believed that I was magic. And it was at that day, it was, it was that day when I realized... I must do everything that I can to never disappoint her. Because she believes in me more than I believe in myself. And there's somebody in your life who thinks you're magic. Somebody whose life you can change. You never know how you might influence the children for the kingdom of God and how you might change world history by praying for and loving and influencing the children that are around you. I think of the influence that my parents had on me, but not just of my parents, but Sunday school teachers in my sixth grade class. I remember how gracious and kind they were. And they, they don't know what I'm doing today, but they didn't know that this wild-eyed, crazy kid who was always wanting to know about UFOs and Bigfoot would, would someday be something, not much, but something in the kingdom of God. And we all can do that. You may not have any children, but there are plenty of children in your church, in your neighborhood, around you, whom you can influence. And so today, I want you to remember what Paul said to Timothy, that the reason that he was so instrumental in the church and the kingdom of God was because of his mother and his grandmother. You can be that kind of person. And so I send you out today saying, influence the kingdom by influencing children. It will change the world. Let's pray.
Our Father, we are so thankful today for all that you've done for us. But we are most thankful for those who have influenced us. Lord, we are so thankful for those who have prayed for us. Those who have taught us to love you. Lord, I pray that we will pass that love along. That some will pass that love along to their own children. But that some will pass that love along to those children who might never know about you if it were not for them. Lord, help us. Help us to influence the future of the church. We all have someone that we can influence. And we pray that you will bless that influence and send it forth with great power for your kingdom. And we pray this in the name of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.